a randomized single-screen permadeath shmup roguelike with a stalker enemy and RPG elements, speedrunning and Shark Week, fishing games and horror movies, and the odd surprise of an LJN game that's better than the movie it's based on. I'm the Wolverine Mage, and this is Magecast. Two men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about a half an hour. You know what this music means. We are free diving without a shark cage into the dangerous LJN infested waters of the NES, and we are being hunted. With me is 8-Bit Steve, publisher and co-founder of NES Pro Magazine, a published author, high score expert, and speedrunner. The amount of technical knowledge he brings to bear on our journey through the treacherous sea is insightful, inspiring, and enthralling in its detail. He makes no boast, but we're at a point in history where we may understand a game like this even better than its developers did. Just when you thought it was safe to listen to podcasts, we're talking about NES Jaws. Magecast is here to spin a spell of terror just in time for your summer trip to the beach. Magecast is the podcast for the lonely, for those who miss the simple pleasure of a shared dialogue. Magecast is a podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. As ever, you can help support Magecast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the pixels where episodes are offered in early access before going live for the public. You can learn more at thepixels.com, that's the-pixels.com, or find me on Twitter and Twitch at the Well Red Mage. Now, let's start the show. Welcome again to another episode of MageCast Podcast. My name is Moses, a.k.a. the Well-Read Mage. We're all hopping on a boat together to go fishing today. Should be a lovely trip. Along with me is Skipper Steve. Just kidding. I'm going to call you Skipper Steve the whole time. 8-Bit Steve, how are you, sir? Pretty good. I mean, if you want to call me, that's fine. I've been called worse. Oh, you've been called worse than that. If somebody um, called me a skipper, I think I would be angry. I don't know why. Boats uh, are cool, man. I wish I knew how to like, you know, work boats and sail. Um, it's cool stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know. Like after watching the movies that uh, that this game is based on, <laughs> I don't know how much boating I want to do in my <laughs> life. But uh, my stepdad used to have a boat, so we've done some boating. But uh, before we get into the the ocean, the sea, and and the devils that lie beneath. Let's uh, let's talk a bit about uh, who you are and why you're here, man. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm just a homeless guy uh, that Mage found outside. Um, he, was <laughs> walk- he was walking down the street uh, by a strip mall, and I he I had a sign that said, "We'll play NES for money," and he gave me some money. <laughs> and I'm no, I'm um, this is this part is really tough. I'm all kinds of things. I don't really. Uh, I don't really do one thing. I do lots of different things. I've done podcasting. Um, I've done streaming. I've done pretty much everything. But right now, um, I own a publishing company, and I'm the publisher and co-founder of Nest Pro Magazine, which you are a part of. Yeah. And then um, I'm also uh, an author. I have four published books uh, for modern strategy guides for the NES. So pretty much all of my work is NES-focused, um, like 99% of it. And uh, what I do pretty much on a daily basis is I'm a high-score NES expert with a minor in speedrunning. And I have a couple couple hundred NES records, and I'm trying to climb the ranks of level-up score in Twin Galaxies and become all-time leader there. Uh, my A good friend of mine, Tom Vadova, has been the leader there since 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, so about 18 years. Uh, so wow. I would like to, and he, he fully supports me. He, he loves that. I'm trying to go for it. Um, we'll see. 
One day. <laughs> One day. Mm-hmm. So uh, you and I kind of come from uh, from the same world and two different worlds simultaneously. So you mentioned speed running, uh, and you and I have chatted about this before. I have like 0.001% of all the knowledge in the world of, of speed running. I, I know almost next to nothing about speed running. I think I've done one speed run in my entire life just for a trophy on the game Ico, uh, which I adore. But speed running, uh, from my perspective outside in, really looks like this 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 elaborate craft, this art form uh, that takes so much skill and so much memory and precision and practice uh, that I really admire it. But uh, every time you start about you start talking about speed running, I'm just like is this still English? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think the same when you start talking about the religious connection with video games and that whole, what your degree is. And I, I, I don't know almost anything about that. Right. So, um, what I tell people about speed running is the stuff that you mentioned, you, you think it's skill and it's, um, precision and all this stuff and timing and it is all those things but those are just a small portion of it the mm-hmm. the the real hefty part of it is time and i know that's mm. cliche because it's speed running but um you gotta you gotta understand that uh these records that you're seeing are from just brute force time so if mm. uh if you are the worst player let's say you want to play super mario brothers one if you're the worst player in the world at super mario brothers run given enough time you will learn the tricks and you will hit some of them over time because that's just how humans work Mm -hmm. it might take you more time than me right but that's the difference really it's not really i mean is that skill i don't know um some people call it natural ability you know the, the quicker you can get to the record sure but everyone for the most part there are obviously some people who can't get a speed run world record but uh for the most part i'd say a large portion of the population could it's just if you if you're married and you have kids and you don't have 50 hours a week to you know reset ninja guidance 30,000 times mm-hmm. that's what that's what you're really looking at you're just looking at perseverance huge time sinks and sacrifices in their life they they sacrifice family time and other kinds of things and a lot of speed runners that are very successful are not married and they have no children, right? Mm. Uh, because that takes up time. And uh, a lot of them, uh, the successful ones don't have full-time jobs either, like Arcus or JC, to my knowledge. So, Well, would you say practice then is the great equalizer in that regard? It sounds like what you were saying is, you know, so the, some folk like to use the term natural ability, but no matter what your, whatever that is, natural ability is, uh, you could still, if you have the time, put that time in and, and do that practice or brute force it. Like you say, I thought, I think that was an interesting phrasing as well, that if you spend enough time with the game, uh, you can get to your goals. Yeah. It, uh, so it's both, it's brute force and practice, but so, uh, there's, there's kind of a, I don't know, a, a mysterious, uh, unspoken thing. So if you're playing on anything that's cartridge based, uh, we have we have tools. We have uh, flashcards that have save states that allow you to uh, play an original hardware, but save at specific points of the game, so you can play those over and over again. And some communities have even created specialized ROMs that are modified ROMs of the game that give you uh, more value uh, for skipping through par- parts of the game and, and practicing those sections. But if you go past cartridge and into the CD era, a lot of those we don't have flashcards for those for the most part. 
And so you don't have, and the runs are three hours long, right? So you don't, mm. that becomes more effort and, and timing and practice precision in the modern consoles, because it's just about repetition at that point and, and consistency. Whereas with the retro stuff, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot more tools to help you mitigate that uh, going forward. So it may take you, uh, you might be really good at one particular trick because that's just how your brain works and how your muscle memory is wired, but I might not be really good at that trick. So I have to save state at that particular spot and pl- and do that trick over and over and over and over and over again for hours and hours and hours to wire my muscle memory and visual cues and sound cues into my brain. So that way, when I go to do that trick, I, I know what it feels like. I know what it sounds like. I know what it looks like. And my muscle memory just does it. My eyes are crossing <laughs> doing the thing right now. You know what? So, I mean, even with, with, with all of that said, uh, you know, us coming from different uh, realms of appreciation of games, I think that there, the beauty of, of all this is that you and I still have this common ground of an affection for the, the NES. Uh, you love evidently. I mean, this is, this is what you do. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. You love the NES. I love the NES. It wasn't my first system, but it was the system that made me fall in love with games. What I want to ask you is why the NES? Well, so first off, uh, <laughs> this is again something that I that I tell people. When I say I love the NES, it's actually far beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of time and sacrifice and effort that I've put into developing myself as a as a player of the NES and products to give to the masses is immense. It's probably greater than any other person. Um, on the earth um but at the very least i'm one of the top people who's dedicated their life to this specific console i pretty much don't do anything else right i don't Mm. play modern stuff i I play nes every single day for at least an hour or two sometimes three or four hours depending on the day and i've been doing that for nearly a decade um so why the nes The, the small answer is uh when i was a kid uh, my brain works in a very specific way, and a lot of speedrunners have this. I like to take things apart, and I like to understand things. And I, I have, mm-hmm. I have what I don't know. Maybe it's OCD, maybe it's obsession, but that's just how my brain worked as a little kid. And so, uh, I could read at a very young age, and I, my mom thought I was really smart. And so, because of that, she just didn't watch me a lot of the times. She just put me in front of the TV, right? She knew I wasn't going to turn the stove on and burn myself, or go outside and get hit by a car, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so. She spent a lot more time uh, watching my sister. Um, And so when the NES came out, it was like a godsend for my mom, right? Because she would just sit me in front of that thing. I'd wake up in the morning. This is like when I'm five, right? So I'm going to kindergarten. I'm coming home from kindergarten. I'm sitting in front of that NES all day until 10, 11 o'clock at night, stopping for dinner maybe, right? Or maybe my mom's bringing me to dinner with the TV. And I did that every single day. So I don't, I don't think a lot of kids' lives were like that. They maybe have gotten a couple of hours in every day and their mom's kind of regulated them. My mom just had the, the chains off, right? Mm. Uh, so I was playing NES from when I was five for five to 10 hours a day. Oh, right? wow, yeah. Uh, sometimes I would play, especially on the weekends, I'd play 16 you know, and sometimes I would play so much, uh, I would go to sleep and pretend to be asleep and my mom would go to sleep and I'd wake up and go downstairs and the morning would come and it was time for me to go to school and I'd been playing NES all night Oh wow, right? yeah. and I'd get in trouble and I'd miss school. And so it just started with that. Just like, uh, so the whole point of that 
line of talking is when I would go to school, um, my mom, dad moved around a lot. We were, we were very poor. And so my dad moved, uh, we moved, I went to four elementary schools. My dad switched jobs a lot. So it was hard to make friends because I was constantly moving. And so the one mm-hmm. thing that I had was I, I had NES. So kids were always talking about it. It was obviously a phenomenon. Kids were always talking about NES. So whenever somebody started bringing up NES, I would just start dropping the, oh, did you know there's, there's this secret in this wall or there's this thing or this is how you beat this. And it started off as like boasting. So like, oh, you can't beat that game and you can't do that. You're lying, right? You're a little kid. So then I'd invite him over to my house and I'd play through DuckTales or Mega Man 2 or whatever, Mario, uh, Zelda, right? And that that kind of caught on at the school and they started calling me Nintendo Steve. So they weren't really my friends per se. Some of them ended up being but they would just like walk up to me randomly and be like hey how do you how do you do this in this game and then i would tell them and then they'd walk away wow <laughs> an expert from a young age uh i suppose but again um it's, it depends on your definition of expert right so i was just mm-hmm. dumping so much time into it and it's very similar to speed running right i was dumping way more times than those kids had access to and so i knew a lot more it wasn't because i was better i just had more knowledge and knowledge equates to skill and 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 things of that especially repetition and practice all that stuff plays a part but i was just playing it so much more than them and i was constantly writing games and swapping them out and that's what my mom let me do so and here you are so many years later launching a whole magazine on this thing i know that's that's beautiful it's pretty great man um pretty excited about it but it's it's just a legacy thing you know um and, and i know i told you guys in the magazine this is not I'm not trying to be rich in this magazine. I just want to I want to bring a platform for people like myself who do NES things every day or have done NES things that just kind of gone under the radar that don't get picked up by major outlets. Give them a platform to talk about their cool things, whether those be homebrew games or programming, uh, music, what, whatever they do, speed runs, high score, anything. There's tons and tons of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are going to be really happy with the magazine. Uh, once it's, it's the issues start circulating. So folks look out for that. Uh, the Kickstarter has now officially ended. The campaign is over. Uh, so we await the first issue, second issue being released, uh, next year, there's going to be four issues. Uh, I'm a part of it as well. Like I've mentioned on the show before, really looking forward to sharing that with you. Now let's get into our main topic here. This is Magecast episode 82. You're going to need a bigger podcast. Uh, that title comes courtesy of Breadzar. Thank you very much for that, Breadzar. We're talking about Jaws on the NES, which was developed by Atlas with Weststone Bit Entertainment subcontracted. And it was published by LJN for the NES back in 1987. Uh, opening kind of statement or question here from Sommerfeld. Is this going to happen during Shark Week? <laughs> I laughed. I, I wasn't actually sure when Shark Week was. Uh, Shark Week is apparently in August. So, uh, no, this episode is not going to be published in August. It's going to be published in about a few days' time. Uh, but before we get to kind of the nitty-gritty of Jaws the Game, just talking a bit more broadly about uh, its publisher, LJN. LJN, uh, those of you who watch YouTube and are into retro games probably know that LJN has a pretty uh, infamous reputation. A large part of that is probably traceable back to uh, the comedic channel, AVGN, 
which I've actually never watched. So I cannot give any kind of direct experiential feedback on that. Um, kind of put out questions today about, you know, do you feel as if LJN, uh, you know, was treated unfairly uh, or has received an unfair uh, infamous reputation or the games with the LJN logo on it? Uh, were they treated unfairly? Um, there's a statement here from Danny Exists 6 who said, it's truly hard to say, but I do feel that the nerd made them out to be just a game company and not the toy game company they were. Terrence Harkin points out there were also only the publishers of games, right? In many cases, companies like that had another company actually create the games or develop the games. And I like this one. A beer and a game said... There are way worse NES games out there than anything LJN made, but the nerd definitely turned it into a meme. I also think it's unfair when boring old heads on here re about the nerd because he, quote, ruined the hobby. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, and this is one reason why I don't just I don't really watch this stuff. I mean, I can appreciate that, you know, he kind of uh, popularized retro gaming in his own way. Um, but I've already got a ton of other things to watch. I don't really like stepping into a new controversy because um, I've already involved in so many. So <laughs> I don't need to be talking about how some guy on YouTube ruined the hobby. But thoughts from you, 8-Bit Steve, on LJN, AVGN? Well, so I think Terrence Harkin makes a really good point there. You have to understand mm -hmm. that LGN weren't, wasn't, were not programming these games. And yes, they had to check them, but there was not a lot of oversight checking back in the day there. Okay, So LJN got these licenses so that they could sell video games. And probably true, they didn't care very much how good the video games were. right? Uh, but here, here's my take on it. I think if you took these games, slot these games, and you removed the movie license from them, we would be having a different conversation right now. The mm. problem I think that happens, and this is just for me, like, you know, my, my experience watching all of AVGN and hearing all the fans for years and years at game conventions and getting really good feedback from, from my guides and stuff is th most kids didn't have access to the entire NES library. Their rental store wasn't going to have every single game that was released, right? Their rental store was buying whatever they thought was going to rent well, okay? And the same thing with Toys R Us or whatever. When you went to Toys R Us or wherever you bought games from and you saw Jason or you saw Freddy or you saw Jaws or you saw Crash Dummies or whatever it was, you're more likely to buy that game than you are Conan or Mutant Virus or uh, Stanley, The Search for Dr. Livingston, which is an actual NES game, right? Yeah, so, right. Because you're a kid. So it was – the part of the LJN problem was is that the marketing back then was geared towards tricking little kids into buying stuff that they was recognizable, especially for their parents too. Their parents probably saw Nightmare on the Street and said, oh, cool, a game. And, they, and they'd get that for their kid because their kid is excited about those things. Um. And so they were kind of playing the edge of the, the parent and the kid. They were trying to do that. And so if the only games that you bought were Super Mario 3, Metroid, Jaws, and Friday the 13th, yes, LJN games are, are bad, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so that's what I think happened. There were so many games that were very popular, like RC Pro-Am, that, that are really, really good games, that, or Rad Racer, or whatever, whatever games you were playing that were really good. And um, a kid bought these licensed games, and they were difficult. And so, or, or confusing. And so that, that's not fun. 
right? So I think that's where that comes from. And definitely AV, AVGN, and by the way, guys, AVGN is uh, satire, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it, it's not real. Like he doesn't believe all those things mostly. Right. right. He's trying to <laughs> he's trying to accentuate the the stigma of it and make it funny. Right. It's for comedy mm-hmm. purposes. And people got to understand that AVGN yeah. is not James Rolfe. There are two different people. AVGN is a character that he plays that he is trying to create a show. Right. And uh, into a beer and a games uh, comment there uh, without AVGN, we wouldn't be doing this. There may not even be speedrunning, Right. Mm-hmm. He was the first to show a. Uh, the a success a legacy of these things and and test the market for how popular uh, a channel or a show could get and see how many people actually cared about that stuff still and so that set the tone for everything that came after that and he's been replicated multiple times so whether you like him or not or you think it as a a negative or positive uh i don't think anyone can deny it's it's the ground zero for every retro thing, especially NES specifically that we have right now. Yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, That's sort of my perspective on it as well. Um, It's not really the brand of humor that I think appeals to me, but at the same time, I think that uh, he's definitely influenced a lot of what we now refer to as kind of the retro gaming scene. Uh, I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, would I even be doing a podcast, an entire podcast on NES Jaws um, if this channel hadn't come along and kind of popularized and and satirically infamized, if that's a term I can use, infamized these games. I really like your point as well about, you know, kids back then didn't have access to entire ROM lists and they didn't have huge libraries. I had a couple of games and I had rentals and that sort of thing. Uh, it bears clarifying that, yeah, a lot of the LJN games were based on uh, these movie properties. Jaws, Beetlejuice, Back to the Future. Uh, I remember playing and enjoying Spider-Man, um, Roger Rabbit, of course. So there was a lot going on there that potentially creates expectations. But I really don't think that these are some of the worst games that I've played on the NES. Uh, as we'll see, I really think Jaws is, is not a terrible game, like by a long shot. Uh, I think it's got some good stuff in it. I, I can show you. <laughs> so I've played at least played somewhat the entire library. And I think I, I've played through about 370 or so of the library, like beat 370. So half of the library and a bunch of my friends have played through the library um, so I'm I'm pretty tapped into like what exists there, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at the the library as a whole, the LJN games do not fall near the bottom. They're probably somewhere in the middle, right? So mm-hmm. if you think LJN games are bad, just imagine the 200 plus games that are worse than that, like of how bad those are. Yeah, like, there's some yeah. games that are just unplayable. Like it's not even it's not even fun. Like the difficulty is so high, you can't even like. Uh, let's talk about Jaws. So Jaws is, you know, you're driving a boat around and you're shooting stuff underwater and you're having a good time, right? And you might die and it's probably hard to complete the game, but it's still got some fun elements. It's it's like a, a horizontal uh, shooter, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're doing, you have an overworld map and I think that's really cool. Um, but because it, I think kids expected to be able to progress in the game naturally over time. And a lot of the LJN games aren't really like that. Yeah. 
structurally Jaws is is really interesting and has kind of a lot of uniqueness for it. But then at the same time, the first time I played it, I was like, what do I do? <laughs> so it is a little confusing. And I think that was the term that you used earlier. Um, just one last note on AVGN before we go. You pointed out satire, uh, which is good. I appreciate when people point out that it's satire. I've met people who do not know that. Uh, and that leads toward, I think, um, the kind of rage reviews that I've seen. So as a, as a, as a kind of quasi publisher myself, uh, having run a website and, uh, helping folks publish their reviews for games that they've played and wanted to write about, uh, if I had a dime for every time I ran into somebody who thought that the way to honestly review a game is to do it by essentially copying the AVGN shtick. Uh, but since you're copying, sort of even making it more hyperbolic, I mean, I've read reviews from people that it, they made it sound like the like the the game ran over their mom or something, like just horrible like <laughs> language that people use about these games that they just offended them personally. Um, and I really, as as somebody who believes in the critique as a craft, I really don't think that there should be that overlap. There's absolutely a place for satire. I was making that point with somebody the other day. Satire is wonderful and our society needs it. Uh, at the same time, our society needs honest critique. Uh, and so I encourage you, if you're listening and you write reviews, make sure you know you're, if you're writing a comedic review, do that. If you're writing an honest review, do that. Um, but watch what you're writing, essentially. I think uh, – and again, this is just based on what what feedback I've gotten. I feel like the market in 2022 is tired of people taking a crap on NES games and, and the angry reviews and, and, and the negative inflection reviews. I think that's been overdone, and yeah. the, the market doesn't want to read that anymore. It's just yeah. – it's boring to them. Um, so – uh, one one other thing I want to point out about AVGN, if you if you look at his like, uh, why doesn't AVGN have a video on the mutant virus? Why doesn't he have a video on Stanley's to search for Doctor Livingstone? Why doesn't he have a video on Conan Mysteries of Time? Maybe he does have one on that one, but there are so many horrible games that he doesn't have a video on, right? And he's played most of the library. He was searching the library for things to make videos about. There's a reason why he picked movie franchise games or popularized games or games that high, had high sales. He picked mm -hmm. those games because they already had a sort of trope negative stigma to them and they were they were widely known so that he could get as many views as possible and make it as funny as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not like he's going through the library and picking out the worst games. He's picking games that he thinks are going to track well and get the right number of clicks. And he's going to try to make the jokes as funny as possible and make the game look as bad as he can. Right. Uh, if it's funny. So. Right. So that's the thing. Uh, if you if you understand that, and uh, I think it's great, right? It's it's totally awesome. But the problem is is that most of the retro community, because you know we're in our 30s and 40s now, and ABGN came out you know 10 plus years ago, so we didn't have a lot of content to consume. So really, the only thing for a long time was AVGN and Pat the NES Punk, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was the that was the thing for many many years. So everyone kind of grew up thinking that way, and it's kind of just like ingrained in their heads. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, an excellent point too. I mean, if you make a video about Jaws, people are like, "Oh, I remember Jaws." Make a video about Zombie Nation, people are like, "What the heck is Zombie Nation?" <laughs> yeah, because most kids didn't have Zombie Nation because it wasn't in their rental store because it, 
if if a if a rental store has to choose between picking buying a game because there they ended up being hundreds and hundreds of games every rental store didn't have a hundred slots for NES games they had maybe twenty thirty right mm-hmm. and they were rotating games in and out as they stopped being rented right so if you have a list of games and you see Jaws and then you see Zombie Nation uh, Conan and all these other games you're just like well I'm buying Jaws because that's more likely to be rented so most yeah. kids don't even didn't even see those games yeah. Yeah, excellent points. A couple of factoids here, mage factoids, as we get going on Jaws. Uh, first one up, this game is based on Jaws the Revenge. That is Jaws 4. It is therefore a game adaptation that is better than the film it's based on, I say with confidence. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Jaws 4? I think I did a long time ago. I, I, I'm not – okay, if I'm in the water, I'm going to be scared of a shark, okay? Right. Uh, but the, the idea of being in the water with a shark doesn't scare me because I know I can prevent being in the water with a shark. Right? Okay. So, yeah. um, so that that didn't really – I watched a lot of horror stuff when I was a kid. It didn't really scare me. Um, there's obviously okay. jump scares, but – no, I think I watched it maybe. Yeah, so I think, again, you and I are from two different worlds here. So I grew up in Hawaii, man. You cannot not be in the water. Uh, I was practically born in the water. And I remember the day that I saw Jaws 1 for the first time. Uh, I was being uh, watched by my uncle, who's hanging out with his friend at at this house. And they're like, hey, you kids, me and my brother. I must have been pretty young, uh, eight maybe. And uh, they're like, hey, you kids can watch TV. I've got an extensive VHS collection. And he was not kidding. Wall-to-wall bookshelves filled with VHSs all over this room. He's like, you guys can watch whatever you want, you know, unsupervised. And so, uh, of course, my brother and I were like, oh, can watch anything. Let's watch something scary. So we put on Jaws. And he's like, you know, watch a movie. Afterwards, you can go swimming in the pool. Uh, So we put on Jaws. And afterwards, we did not go swimming in the pool. Um, I think <laughs> I avoided the beach for a very long time after Jaws as well. Um, now, Jaws 1, I think, is, 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 is a great movie. Um, recently, I watched through the quadrilogy with my wife, uh, and they get pretty progressively worse. Jaws the Revenge is... Oh, yeah is ridiculous and and a, a terrible film. I mean, Michael Caine didn't even see it. So, well, I think Spielberg did the first one, right? right, right but he yeah. didn't. He didn't have anything to do with two, three, and four, right? So they were just licensed out, I guess, by the company that owned the license for Jaws. So, um, yeah. So I live in Michigan, right? And so we're surrounded by lakes. We don't have sharks, right? Right. So, <laughs> you don't have to worry about. Yeah, that. we don't have like I, I didn't. I, I never saw a shark in real life until I was like in my twenties, right? Or like okay. in a zoo or something, right? <laughs> I, I I don't say I'm the farthest away from the ocean I could be, but I'm pretty far away from any ocean where there's a shark, so it's just not as scary to me, right? Right. And um, they haven't Jurassic Worlded it where it's like coming at you in the city or anything like that. Yeah, it's in the ocean. <laughs> Jaws does Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> Jaws five, make it happen, Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, again it's uh it's very difficult to uh so the thing with these a lot of these licensed games that i want to point out to listeners mm-hmm. is um they have they imply that they're based on the first film in the franchise right they couldn't release a game that said jaws 4 
because then they're like, where's Jaws 1, 2, and 3, right? Yeah. Uh, the same thing with Friday the, th- the Friday the 13th game. That doesn't happen. Or it's <sighs> So there is a perceived place in time when that game came out, and it was like f- between the fourth and fifth movie. Right, so way late in the Friday Thirteenth oh. franchise, um, and it's similar with the other stuff. Um, you know, they came out at way later after the movies were were gone, because um, you know th- these companies were trying to maximize their profits uh, a- after their money started running out from the rentals and stuff or whatever, right? Because they didn't have streaming back then. Yeah, no, definitely, and that makes sense. I mean, even not just calling it Jaws Four, but calling this game Jaws: The Revenge uh is is mouthier it, the word jaws just by itself uh is is haunting and catches your eye and it's it's just a, a much better title for this game than calling it jaws the revenge uh but that was a surprise to me too i didn't realize this was based on jaws 4 um until like very recently and so when I played it for the first time as an adult, and we'll get into, you know, when, you know, thoughts and when you played it for the first time. Um, but I was just confused. I was like, you got to ram your boat into the shark. Why? Like Brody shoots the shark in the <laughs> mouth with the tank at the end. I've seen the movie. Um, I, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I, I thought the boat ramming happened in the movie. I haven't seen it. So um, <laughs> not for a very long time. But if yeah. you if you look at the so you can very clearly tell from, so we're gonna go into I'm not gonna spoil that for later but um, there's cutscenes that match perfectly scenes from the movie like still mm-hmm. still frame scenes so uh, and then if you look at the year the game came out it was the year that that Jaws four was out so uh, they they clear, very clearly used because here's the thing guys newsflash so somebody somebody at lgn called some random guy at a public uh, a game program and said hey can you make a jaws game right and they probably didn't tell them anything about it just said hey we have this license make a game about jaws so that person is tasked with like researching and finding information about jaws he may have never seen any of the movies before right and they had a very tight deadlines back then some of them were 90 days or or something like that some of them 30 days in the case of uh et so this guy's got to just come up with anything there is so he just goes and watch jaws 4 Right, because that's that's what was out at the time. Yeah, and so he takes that and then de- determines what he's going to make and figure it out. You know, uh, but those don't those don't always make sense because if you don't have context of the franchise uh, and you just are making a game in ninety days or whatever the time limit was, it's it comes out weird sometimes. Right, definitely, and I mean, it's not like a ton of people had extensive libraries. I'm sure of movies in 1987 uh you know there, there were rental stores and things like that but rental stores didn't have complete collections either so you're right maybe i hadn't thought of that maybe he hadn't seen all these movies but it makes sense if you're releasing the game in that year you release it to coincide with the most recent the current relevant film uh i like here what captain oppositional said he said i used to love this game when i realized it was based on the fourth jaws movie the revenge rather than the first it all made sense. That means this was an early example of one, a game with a female protagonist, and two, a licensed game that's better than the movie it's based on. <laughs> uh, that I hadn't thought of that too, because the the uh, the main character of Jaws Four is Brody's wife or Brody's widow, mm-hmm. rather. Um, so here you go, early example, female protagonist. The main protagonist of the game is a boat. 
is a so. boat. <laughs> Presumably she's driving the boat, right? Because Michael Caine drove the plane. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I've seen Jaws. Maybe once. that's her in the wetsuit shooting things underwater. I don't know where that came from, but. I think she's the I think she's the only character that has long kind of sandy brown hair. So could she could be the diver. Right. It, it bears watching Jaws 4 again, but I wouldn't put that I doubt it. on anybody. Yeah. I doubt it. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, Super Jeff Tendo said, not a terrible movie based game from LJN since this was developed by Atlas Persona and Weststone Wonder Boy. Wow. Um, so, yeah, like we'd pointed out earlier, LJN is a publisher. Uh, there were developers working on these. Um, and what would I what I would encourage to folks you know who maybe took the AVG, avgn and the row of pretenders after him seriously is try things for yourself um i wouldn't be having this fun conversation with steve today if i hadn't tried jaws for myself if i just looked at you know what if i just looked at the cover and saw the rainbow ljn oh no I guess I can't. I don't want to play this game. <laughs> Taste uh, but the I ended up, yeah, <laughs> ended up trying it and, and and loved it. Not immediately, but once I beat it, I was like, you know what? That wasn't so bad. And then played through it again. And then recently, like last week or so, uh, I beat it a third time through. And I was like, I kind of really like this game. I think well, let me great. ask you a question. I uh, yeah. I don't want to break the the third wall, for, fourth wall. Uh, Ooh, I fifth. I did I. Obviously, I, I do have a strategy guide on this game. So I have four strategy guides right now. Friday the 13th, Jaws, Fester's Quest, and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. So I did send Mage a PDF copy of my Jaws guide. So the question is, is did you use the guide to beat the game? Or were you able to naturally play through it normally? So uh, definitely this last time, um, I had remembered kind of everything that I remembered from the previous times. But I think you'd sent me a copy of the guide after I'd finished the game because um, I finished the game. And then I think I reached out to you and was like, hey, you want to talk about Jaws on my show? Um, and then that was when we started talking about the guide. So the next time I get into Jaws and I got to wait a little bit and let it, you know, kind of freshen up again. Uh, I would definitely like to use the guide. What I would really like to use a guide on is uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out because I think I'm too stupid to beat that game. No, um, <laughs> no. I, so uh, a very wise friend of mine said this one time, and it's very true. All it takes to beat most NES games is a few bits of information, a few bits, and we've discovered those few bits, right? And I can give you a few bits of tons of games that that you think are really really hard, and you'll just you'll just beat them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the whole point of the easy way. Uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out is a little bit different. It's probably the most difficult guide that I've created because uh, I can beat Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. But uh, mm -hmm. teaching that in a written guide is very difficult uh, because there's a lot of timing and precision to the things that you're doing. Yeah. And so it's about creating strategies that are safe. Uh, that are going to be successful a high percentage of the time. We try to find a 100% route through the game. If you look at this draw strategy guide, it's not a 100% route. There are things that can go wrong, but it's very high. I'd say it's in the 95% range. Once you understand it and you've played it a couple times, you'll you'll do it every time. Uh, punch okay. out's a little little more difficult. The last three boxers, uh, Sandman, Macho, and Tyson specifically, are very difficult to beat, um, and they require a lot of practice. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that perspective. It's, I've read bad guides before that are like, you know, all you have to do is push a, in this split second <laughs> that appears and I was like, okay, this is that it. I missed the cue. Now I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, it's not so easy to just say, all you have to do is have perfect reflexes, but that's, that's <laughs> the, like, I, I don't think of myself as a really competitive gamer. I don't think of myself as a really skilled player. Um, but I've beaten a lot of games. I mean, I track my entire collection. I'm at 50% completion. And people have dumped, like, like a friend of mine when he moved to Idaho, he was like, here's my entire PS3 collection. I'm like, hey, thanks. Um, but I don't know uh, how soon I'll be able to play all of these. But <laughs> like with people dumping games on me, I've still, I've managed to finish half of them at least. And I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, it, I, think, I think in the world, Mage, people think, skill is the most important thing that you need to beat a hard video game mm. and that's not true mm -hmm. you need knowledge you need understanding of the game and how it works that way you can try to mitigate some of the difficult parts and then if you get it down to one or two difficult things then you can practice those difficult things and become really good at just those couple of things and then the rest of the game is is, is easier um, mm -hmm. And so with the easy way, what we try to do is we try to remove all the difficult things. We try to go around every single thing. And that means going slower or farming some power-ups or doing things that you would not normally do to, to get around those difficult uh, things. For example, in the Fester's Quest book, um, one of the things is I have you f farm the most powerful gun right at the beginning of the game. And the enemies that you're farming can't even shoot back at you. Right. So you just farm that and it takes 10 to 15 minutes, 20 minutes to do that. But then you have, you know, your level eight powered gun. And so the rest of the enemies just die and you can shoot down corridors and it just makes the game so much easier. Mm. Right. But it's not that's not a natural thing that kids think about. They just like kill stuff and progress. And and, you know, so uh, I, I think the more games you beat, the more natural you get. There's a lot of things that overlap from genres, especially RPGs. Yeah. Uh, same thing on the NES with platformers or racing games. They're all pretty similar. And the NES was coded in a, in a certain structure. You were talking earlier about punch out hitting a button on a particular frame. So the NES is, is 60 frames a second, right? So the, the, the hardest thing that you can do is press a button on 1 60th of a second, one, one frame. That's the hardest thing you can do. But we're in an easy way guide. You're never going to tell you to do that, right? You're never going right. to need to do that. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I, I, don't shred me if this is wrong, but I think the dodging in uh, Mike Tyson are four frame windows. That doesn't sound like a lot, but um, it's doable, right? It's doable. Um, some of the like of the bald bull charge, uh, there are ways to make that better. We can we can turn that into a fourteen frame window, which is like a quarter of a second. That's much easier for humans to do uh, response time wise, even if you're not very sharp with uh, hand eye coordination. Mm. Um, but expecting casual people to do frame perfect tricks, it's just not it's not feasible. No, those yeah. are for speed running. Those aren't for beating the game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, I don't know that anybody that listens to this podcast uh, would be able to correct you on some of those those stats that you read off. So uh, if you say it's it's four or 60, uh, I'll take your word for it, man. 
Joypad Lad is holding a massive giveaway set to end in early July, and you won't want to miss out on this one. Sure, I've mentioned before how you need to head over to joypadlad.com for all your retro game, comic book, action figure, and merchandising needs, but this month we're focusing on his giveaway while the dude completes a challenging move. A Nintendo Switch Lite and copy of Mario Strikers Battle League can be yours if your name is drawn in the giveaway. To enter, find the link in the podcast description, joypadlad.com forward slash pages forward slash giveaway. Don't miss out because you were too lazy to browse the internet. That's joypadlad.com forward slash pages forward slash giveaway. See you there. You know what? I would love to use you one of your guides to beat uh, or use your Mike Tyson's punch out guide to beat Mike Tyson's punch out. Because looking through my library, I, I sometimes I'll target a game to play next based on how I perceive uh, how easy I perceive it to be. Uh, and that's when like, I look at it on my shelf. I'm like, I'm never going to, this would be like the last game I'll be for me. It's just really, <laughs> really hard. So let me ask you, uh, where can we find these guides? Uh, so currently you can go to easywayguides.com. That's a website I set up to purchase the guides. However, uh, a lot of them are sold out. The jaws book and punch out book are sold out. Um, uh, the Friday, the 13th book investors guide are still in stock, but I'm running low on those. I'm not sure if they're going to be reprinted with my workload from the magazine and other things that I have going on. Um, they take a really long time to make. You, you guys have to understand, and I, I, this is not this is not arrogance or ego. These are the most comprehensive guides on these games that have ever been created. Uh, they come from a modern perspective, and they use tools and resources that we have now that we didn't have in the 80s and 90s. We're, we're taking these things apart code-wise, figuring out how the code works, and we're, we're looking at the RAM values and discovering behavior patterns that we didn't have before. And so mm. uh, when you read one of these, the people making that guide, whether that's me specifically or uh, in the case of Slackinator when I paired with him with the Jaws book, uh, we're experts. We're the leading experts of that particular game. And if there are others that are experts in the game as well, uh, in the case of Jaws, we use Space Colonizer, who's a uh, former record holder, and uh, they created tons of resources for these things. And so there's people dumping years of their life into these games, and we're taking that knowledge and trying to find the easiest path through the game. You couldn't do that five years ago. Right. Yeah. So these are these are mm. these are totally a totally new concept and a totally new way to play through the game. So if you take one of these guides and you can't beat the game, I, I'm not sure that's even possible. <laughs> Do you have a money back guarantee on them or something? Sure. Yeah. If you buy, if <laughs> you buy funny. one of my books and you can't beat the game, I will give you your money back. Like, well, you these, know what? These aren't expensive. They're 10, they're 10, you know, the paperback ones are 10 bucks and the Friday 13th one's 20 bucks. I'm not trying to gouge you guys. I'm trying to help people beat hard games and, and reduce the stigma of difficulty. Right. Yeah, no, that's rad. I, and I've been eyeballing these uh, right now. I'm on eBay. Uh, I cannot find, I would really love to own a physical copy of that punch out guide. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to find one somewhere, but to dig it up. Of I'll like just a, send you one. Oh, Hey man. Um, okay. Well, let's talk shop about, about that afterwards. I would love to, <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. Well, uh, to send me, so here, I'll send you once the punch up, the punch up book hasn't been shipped yet. Um, okay. It's, I'm, it should ship this month. We've had so many problems. And anyone who's listening to this that had bought it, I apologize. There's a lot of things, 99% of the things out of my control, but um, I'm hoping it'll ship this month. I'll send you a four pack. I'll give you the, the Friday 13th book, the Jaws book, 
the Festus book and the Punch-Out book. I'll just send you copies of all four of them. My man. I will. Okay. And I've never beaten Festus Quest. Mm-hmm. I've never beaten Friday the 13th. Never beaten Punch-Out. Uh, My suggestion is to do Friday the 13th and Festus Quest first. So okay. that way you can see the formatting of the guide and you can kind of get the feel and flow for what it's trying to teach you. And then do the Punch-Out one. Because okay. the Punch-Out one is going to be much more advanced and uh, much more difficult to to uh effectively apply um right and so so yeah you'll, you'll like be faster probably on the first try right? okay uh, okay f- uh so for the friday the 13th book when, when i was uh with hagen sally so we uh i took the book and i i had 10 of them right um and i gave them to 10 eight-year-old children friends of mine that had kids they were between seven and nine years old right i gave them to 10 kids uh, nine of those kids beat the game on the first try. Wow. On Friday the 13th. After reading through the book, some of them read through the book three or four times, right? Some of them played through it and paused, but uh, only one of them didn't beat the game. But then that person beat it on the second try. So um, hmm. that just shows, that just gives you an example of how easy some of these games can be if you have the right knowledge. Yeah, these have been play tested then. I think oh, yeah. that's really admirable. I mean, one of the first times you and I have talked, and we'll get back to Jaws, obviously. Hold your horses, <laughs> audience. Uh, but one of the first things that you and I discussed uh, on the phone when we were kind of chatting about NES Pro is um, sort of the, the scientific approach to studying these games, looking at these games. Earlier you'd mentioned um, you know, the world kind of perceives skill to be primary, Uh, as far as playing these games. Um, And you mentioned kind of your perspective on that. Uh, I think my perspective as a critic, more so than a speedrunner or anything like that, uh, not a competitive player, is interpretation. To me, interpretation is is primary. Thinking the thoughts of the developers after them, figuring out what are they trying to say through this game? What are they trying to say through these mechanics? And what was the thought process there? this is really exciting to me. I'm really excited to, to try these games out and I will be indebted to you if I finish punch out because of this guide. And I, I'm sure I will. You, you will, um, you will. And so the thing with, um, the thing with punch out is I can give you all the knowledge, right? But you still have to practice and, and get the timing of it down. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't explain that to you. Right. right. So I've tried to mitigate. I've pretty much mitigated all of the boxers except for Macho Man and, and Mike Tyson. Right. Uh, you'll be able to get through Sandman every single time. And the cool thing is that the game gives you a password for Macho Man. Right. So you can just practice Macho Man and, and Tyson as many times as you want and get good at those fights based on the strategies. And a- after some time, you'll beat them. You will. Nice. I believe you. I believe in myself. I, I, I believe in everyone. I think everyone <laughs> can do it, right? But uh, there you go. But there's different. Uh, some I don't want to reveal too much, but something that I say in the Punch Out book, uh, and this is similar in the Jaws book. If I if I write a book explaining to you how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you'll probably do it on the first try, or at least some mm-hmm. reasonable facsimile of that, right? But explaining to you how to beat Punch Out is is different, right? So there's a there's a scale to these guides. Some games are harder than other games. So yes, we can find the easiest possible path, but the easiest po- possible path compared to other easiest possible paths is relative, right? Like there's difference in there. We've I've completely gutted Fester's Quest. You can you can beat that every single time and probably not even take damage. 
right? I, Friday the 13th, same way. You can beat that every single time. I've been beating that live for four years, right? I've never died, <laughs> right? Wow. So yeah. you, and you know, it just, but punch out's different. Um, it takes, it takes time and practice guys. Sometimes, yeah. you know, practice is what you need to beat something. And the punch yeah. out is one of those things. Definitely. We've touted and praised practice to high heavens on this show before listeners. If you've followed, you, you know, that, uh, I think practice is, is the best. It's great stuff. Hey, let's, uh, let's touch down here on jaws again. It says mm-hmm. here mage facts. The box art is a reproduction of the movie poster with the words, the revenge removed. So if you're looking at jaws, the game, you're like, it doesn't look like jaws one poster. Well, it's not. I uh, wanted to shout out Octorock1982, who said one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite NES games. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he means Jaws 1 and not Jaws 4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's somebody we've mentioned a couple times so far already uh, is the current speedrun world record holder for Jaws on the NES. And that is Slackinator. After I talked with you about Slack yesterday, I actually went and hung out in his stream. He was live at the time and uh, and checked him out, chatted with him for a little bit. Uh, the dude's the real deal. So his world record for beating Jaws is three minutes, six seconds, and 759, was that milliseconds, right? Yes, milliseconds. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know what's, do you have like a personal record that you're trying to beat for Jaws? No. So um, me and me and Slack come from different camps, but okay. uh, under the same umbrella, right? We're in different regiments of the army, so to speak, um, or different branches of the military. So Slack, uh, I recognize, so what's the term? Game recognized game, right? So I've obviously spent my life playing NES and doing stuff. So very, very early on, I was watching Slackinator and I, I recognized that he had a lot of really natural skills and his brain worked very similarly to mine. And that's, it's kind of rare uh, to have someone at that level. And he didn't even realize it at the time. He ended up getting the Kung Fu record, uh, which was very difficult, and very, a lot of frame perfect tricks there. And uh, then we just started talking and became friends. So uh, he's definitely the real deal. Um, he's, one of my good friends and we talk NES all the time. And there's very few people on the earth that I can talk NES with on a high level. Mm-hmm. And um, he's one of those. So he's, he's had records in Rygar, um, super regular Mario brothers, not super Mario brothers um, jaws. He currently holds, he just got that record back a couple of weeks ago. Or oh, like wow, a week fresh. ago. It's very fresh. Yeah. Um, he said he's had a world record in double dragon. Uh, he, he pretty much takes any game that he plays and just, sh- just shreds the time down he's very he's very logical and uh, methodical he understands how the nes works and he figures out a lot of things he's injected a whole bunch of strategies into a whole bunch of nes games that didn't exist before uh and he's also the first person to beat ninja gaiden without taking any damage uh everyone thought that was impossible because of the head at the end of the game uh bonking you uh automatically but he figured out a way to kill that head and then beat the game without taking any damage so Wow. Um, so that's just his process, right? He he systematically and logically breaks the games down, figures out the strategies, builds muscle memory. It's very regimented, right? Uh and that's why we 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 you know, he comes from a very uh the two sides of a coin, right? My my approach is uh reaction speed and uh more freeform, 
And his is more, I'm going to do exactly these movements on exactly these frames, and then I'm going to get the record. Right. And he just practices mm-hmm. that. And, and it's almost like a script to him. So yeah. how long do you think this record will stand? Well, um, one of the things uh, I want to point this out to the people out there. So um, I don't want to say that me and Slack don't care about the world records. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a, it's more of a fun thing to do. It's a hobby thing. Right. So, and for Slack, it's a monetized thing. It's for his stream, right? He's trying to mm-hmm. make some money on his stream. And it's different for me because I'm doing it for legacy and personal growth and, and, trying to compare myself uh to others to see if i can reach their level it's it's about improving my own stuff right so Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody breaks a record right that's good for me that means okay cool i have another another level that i can go to somebody got to a level beyond me so let's try to get beyond that right and that's what the community is about so how long will it stand it depends on if space so uh, slackinator and space colonizer in in a completely different world of their own i I think i think their records are 25 seconds away away from third place right like like a huge amount of time so they're the two best players in the world so they kind of trade back and forth if if space colonizer switches his stream to full-time jaws and plays it every single day could be a day could be a week could be a month who knows right but then slack can switch his stream back and do the same thing so yeah well i uh it's hard for me to think about beating this game that that quickly. Uh, Bakuiel asked here, uh, "What is the fastest you've ever beat it?" I think this last time, knowing what I what I'm doing and understanding the game, uh, 30, 40 minutes on it, but not three minutes <laughs> at all. Definitely not. So I think that's really admirable. Uh, next factoid here. The Jaws shark is in my top three scariest movie monsters of all time. Uh, they are Bruce Jaws, the Xenomorph from Alien and John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, to somebody listening who is potentially very versed in horror, uh, those are potentially very basic answers. But again, growing up on Hawaii, Jaws is <laughs> terrifying i've never been in space so i'm not so worried about the xenomorph but i've had dogs and john carpenter's the thing might have ruined dogs for me uh, yeah. i wanted to ask you is though that, as is that the is that the thing or is it swamp thing no so not swamp thing <laughs> <laughs> and now i'm in texas so i should be more worried about swamp thing but, uh, but he's friendly he's friendly uh you're pretty versed in horror though so i wanted to ask you yeah. what what are your three like earlier you said not too many things scare you but like what what are the three scariest movie monsters for you so something that's weird um is the any of the horror characters that are like humanoid like Uh freddy jason leatherface right uh for the most part and i'll get to get to one that is humanoid that is scary to me um those Mm -hmm. don't scare me as much because in my mind i'm like okay these these guys have behaviors and they have a motive to what they're doing and we can figure that out and we can mitigate that right and that's how they beat mm-hmm. jason every single time right they understand what he's doing and they they get around it and they they outsmart him right mm-hmm. and i think it's similar to freddy right and similar to chainsaw massacre guy leatherface right um with the xenomorph right you don't know the motive you don't know what it is you don't even you don't know what yeah. his behaviors are it's just 
it's just this thing that's killing you and it's terrifying, right? It can climb mm. on walls and it's immune to bullets and stuff mostly. So it's like un- unknown things that are killing you is terrifying to me, right? Because yeah. I'm a guy that likes to figure things out and have the knowledge and know things, right? So it's like, um, so the scare, one of the scariest things to me was Pinhead uh, from Hellraiser. Oh, and yeah. That's a humanoid because it's like, it was the first time because you, you don't see Freddy coming from an alternate dimension or hell or whatever until movies later. But Pinhead's like, yeah, here I'm here and uh, I have all these powers and you don't know what it is. And I'm just going to torture you and uh, turn you into one of us. And there's nothing you can do about it. And uh, yeah, have a nice life. Right. So uh, <laughs> I got really, really scared by the Cenobites and the and and that. So for sure, I wouldn't say aliens scared me so much. Um I didn't really watch that a lot as a kid, but definitely Hellraiser um, mm. was one of them. Uh, I'm trying to think of something else that was really scary from that era. Uh, I, I I got really again. That's like magic, right? Almost. I got really scared by yeah. magic when I was a kid. The like supernatural things, stuff, right? Yeah, things that things that yeah. don't make sense. Like a giant shark is okay. I understand it's a giant shark. It just grew really big and it's going to kill you, right? But, or even Jason Voorhees. It's like okay. Uh, it got a little out of hand when he got like resurrected by lightning and became supernatural. <laughs> right. But you know, I don't really consider that. It's just, uh, yeah, just magic stuff. So like shows that had witches in them, right. They cast spells on you and turn you into frogs right. and stuff. Right. That stuff was terrifying to me because I couldn't understand it. Makes a lot of sense. Like you said, just don't go in the water. Yeah. Uh, what's that movie? Uh, witches. I think it's got like, uh, Oh, like the eighties one? Yeah. Like it's like a kid's film. Yeah. I got scared by yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> I got scared by that because I was like, oh my gosh, there's, I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to meet a witch and she's going to turn me into a frog or a rat. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a rat my whole life. You know, kids, kids yeah. think weird stuff. No, I know. Well, the things that they put in some kids movies were freaking crazy. Uh, one of the kids movies that scared me a lot was Watership Down. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's just rabbits. It's just rabbits. But like one of them's prophesying about seeing like blood on the hills and like, it's like the ceiling's made of bones. I was like, all right, I think um, <laughs> I'm going to stop watching this. Like when I was a kid, this is a, this is not an eighties thing, but there was a movie called event horizon. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was probably nineties somewhere. Uh, I, that movie, I was older, but it just, it stuck with me. There was like a scene where there's a girl in a bathtub and it's full of blood. And it was just, there was something weird about it. It was like, it wasn't like Freddie where, you know, like Freddie's doing this. It was just all this weird stuff that was terrifying and you didn't know why it was happening. So that yeah. I got really scared by that. Oh, well, I got, I wouldn't say I was scared cause I was older, but I was like disturbed by it. Yeah. There's a, a degrees of difference there. Uh, the shining is one that I wanted to shout out to. The Shining, I don't know what's going on in The Shining. I certainly didn't when I was like six. So I <laughs> probably shouldn't have seen that when I was six. Oh, no. But, Holy cow. Yeah, that I, I didn't watch I that until me. very recently. I'd never oh, seen really? it as a okay. kid. Yeah. I watched the uh, Dr. Sleep, the, the sequel. Oh, yeah, it, that's right. And it was incredible because it had Ewan McGregor in it. And uh, I loved the movie. So I was like, I'm going to watch this first one. And I watched it. And I was like, man, my cow, <laughs> this is scary. Like, There's like blood blood rivers and the hallways and weird, creepy kids and holy cow. Yeah, um, yeah. One other one I'd like to shout out that I think doesn't get a lot of love is children of the corn. 
Oh, that's a scary one. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that. That didn't really scare me, but it was like, again, uh, well, Malachi scared the shit out of me. Uh, that's the, the redheaded kid at the beginning. That's like killing all the adults. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't get as scared by Isaac at the end when he turned into like a supernatural zombie. But, uh, the thing that walks behind the rose was really terrifying. Uh, to think that there's like some demon in the cornfield that's like controlling, but I think it's cool to like what what if there was a city that had no adults and was run by kids? You know, that's a cool concept. Yeah, uh, certainly appealing as a kid, <laughs> and then you watch the movie. Yeah, The Shining. Uh, I saw way too many horror films as a kid um, that were like you know not schlocky like oh look a monster, but like you know disturbing stuff like The Shining. Um, I grew up to really like Stanley Kubrick uh, as a director, not as a human. Uh, Got to specify that. But uh, <laughs> so I love like these days, right? Right. Yeah. 2001: A Space Odyssey is is my favorite movie of all of all time. Um, and that has some disturbing things in it. But yeah, The Shining is just like they don't really make movies like that. Uh, there's there's no real central kind of figure. I mean, like Jack Nicholson's going around grinning at everything, but, uh, yeah, what a spooky movie. Anyway, uh, I give myself the heaps, uh, (laughs) final, final factoid here. Jaws is a fishing game and I will not have my mind changed about that. Uh, I just thought of that the other day. Um, this is one one of my favorite fishing games. Yeah. <laughs> there. Okay. So there are two actual fishing games on the NES: uh, the Black Bass and the Blue Marlin. Those are Blue Marlin. I love it. Yeah, those are really fun. Uh, my dad. I grew up in a in a household that hunted a lot. My dad hunted rabbits and squirrels, and we had a lot of game when we were younger because it's, it's free, right? Like my dad can go out in the woods and shoot a squirrel, and we can eat it for dinner. Um. So that's probably not how Hawaii worked. Uh, no. That's that's how <laughs> Michigan was. So. Um, when the black bass came out, my dad was a big fisher. So we definitely had that and he played the crap out of it and, uh, he got frustrated cause it wasn't like real fishing. Right. But I, I had, once we had it, I could play it whenever I wanted. It's really cool. Yeah. Blue Marlin is one that I just kind of like personally discovered recently. Well, I freaking love fishing games. I love fishing mini games. If it's fishing in a, in a video game, I will, I will probably like it. Uh, unless it's just jank trash. Uh, but playing blue Marlin, uh, I love, I really love blue Marlin. I I suck at blue Marlin. It's good. Like it's got a lot of depth and uh, it's black bass has, has the framework of blue Marlin, but it has some glaring problems with gameplay, but they fixed all that stuff in blue Marlin. And it's a really, it's a really well polished fishing game. It's probably, it's definitely the best one on the NES, but I would, I would venture to say it's better than most of the super Nintendo ones in my opinion. Oh, like super black bass and all yep. that jazz. Yeah. yeah. It's just uh, a more polished and you get to, you get to fish for giant fish, right? You're not fishing little tiny bass or perch or whatever. So. Yeah. And, uh, and it's got some hidden RPG elements in there too. It seems like, uh, mm-hmm. as this game we are talking about as well, Jaws, uh, arisen gaming said, I always liked this game when I was younger. My cat loved it. My strongest memory of the game was my cat sitting on the TV, trying to swat at the jellyfish and the bonus levels that, and the sound of the sonar. So cat. fond. They <laughs> don't care. <laughs> it's not real jellyfish cat. Uh, plus he can eat jellyfish cat, uh, fond memories about this game though. So like I mentioned, I already spoiled that I've, I've played this only really recently in the past couple of years for the first time. Right. When did you first play jaws? Was it as a kid? <sighs> I, 
I don't have any real strong memories of playing it as a kid. I assume that I did because we mm-hmm. we we pretty much had all the horror games. My you know my dad was my dad grew up watching the monsters and the Adams Family black and white, and so he loved horror and he loved uh, like Godzilla and monsters. He liked Invisible Man and Wolfman and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So he because he grew up in the in the sixties and seventies, right? So uh, we always had that stuff. So we got Fester's Quest when it came out and Friday the Thirteenth. So I assume we had Jaws. Um, I just don't have a real memory. So the first time I remember playing it, like all like through, was probably a few years ago. Um, well, that's not true. I, I I played through the game about five years ago uh, for my campaign to beat all the NES games. Uh, but so probably about five years ago is when I rediscovered it. Okay. Yeah, and what what do you remember kind of your first experience? Like, was it confusing for you? It certainly was for me. It's tough to say. So what uh short short story rant here, and I've told the story in some other podcasts, but it's it's a it's a very interesting thing. So my as you as I said to you, my childhood with the NES was very unique, right? Mm-hmm. Um playing it absurd amounts of time. We had this most kids had a rental store in their city somewhere, Blockbuster, whatever, local, local one. I, my grandma lived in this residential neighborhood and there's this little tiny section inside the center of this residential neighborhood that was zoned for business and it got grandfathered in. So normally those were those, they would just like kick all the business owners out and tear down the buildings and build houses there. But it was like grandfathered in. So they couldn't do that. Right. So think of a residential neighborhood with directly in the center, there's like a strip mall with three businesses. It was really mm-hmm. weird. Right. And so the businesses were a convenience store, a little Caesars pizza and a video rental store. So I could literally walk from my grandma's house one or two blocks over and go to a rental store. Right. And so what I would do is I would rent a game. And if I didn't like it, I would just take it back and I would just get another one. Right. And we just I basically had an infinite policy of doing that. And it over time really pissed off the owners and they got in a lot of arguments with my mom. Uh, So I probably rented Jaws or had Jaws and I don't remember beating it as a kid. I don't remember being frustrated or confused. I don't have a lot of memories of it, but I I probably did play it. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, the first time playing it. um, Well, first of all, that is. It's kind of a hilarious story. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of myself in your shoes as a kid doing that and <laughs> it's kind of bringing like a, the game back. Ah, I didn't like it. Let me get what else you got. You know? Yeah. Gradius. Oh, okay. I'll show that. And you, you beat it in an hour and bring it back. <laughs> that's what, that's what happened. So my mom, my mom prefaced it. Like she went in there and was like, Hey, my, you know, my name's Ginger and this is my son. And he's, he's really advanced with these games and the, the owner was like rolling her eyes. Right. And she's like, listen, mm. um, here's $20. Is it? Cause I think it was like a dollar 50 to rent. Right. She was like, here's $20 as a deposit. Um, he's going to beat these really quick and he's going to bring them back. Is that okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come back. You know, that she regretted saying that. I'm expecting um, like a week, probably not. Yeah. Like or cause it was like, a, I think two or three day rentals. Right. Oh, okay. So I would rent a game, you know, a platformer and I would, you know, like, I don't know, uh, tom and jerry or something and i just beat it in like a day or like a like i played for nine consecutive hours in a row right mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're eight and you don't have any other things in your brain you don't have any emotional connection to things so you're just hand-eye coordination focused and tunneled in on that when you're eight or nine years old right you don't have any distractions so i beat it and then hey i beat this one i'm gonna get another one and i get another one sometimes i do that two or three times in a day right 
Or sometimes I just run a game that I liked, like DuckTales or Chippendale, and I just play that and beat that a bunch of times because I liked it. But it was really weird, man. <laughs> that is really weird. Uh, definitely a unique experience. Yeah. Um, like I was saying, I think for me, uh, playing this for the first time in recent years and being able to remember it, uh, it's kind of difficult to describe what Jaws is as a game. Uh, I don't think it neatly fits into any particular genre. But right away when you start playing the game, you're thrown into this overworld. And yes. my perspective was like, oh, okay, I guess I get to just kind of explore this. And then you realize, oh, I'm being chased by uh, Jaws. Or you're having these kind of random encounters um, where you will then switch to a 2D side-scrolling, not side-scrolling, but a single-screen uh, shoot him up type thing where you're yeah. a diver and uh, and Jaws would appear and he'd have like it says in the corner Jaws power um, and I'm like oh okay this is like his his life points and you shoot him and then you shoot him and you shoot him and I shot freaking until my thumb felt like it was gonna fall <laughs> off and he'd be like I lost one point of health oh no and <laughs> That to me just blew my mind. I was like, how much health does this guy have? So I thought, oh, you have to wear him down over the course, course of time. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. That's not how to play this game. No. <laughs> like at, all, at all. So a cu couple of things. I'll give you, yeah. I'll give you the, the short and skinny, so to speak. So you start off in an overworld and you can travel around a, a pretty small map. Mm -hmm. um, Jaws is present on the map the whole time. And he's always trying to hunt you down. Um, if you crash, if he crashes into your boat, you'll you'll go into what's called an encounter, and that's where you're underwater with a harpoon and you're trying to shoot jellyfish, stingrays, and sometimes jaws if he's near you when you go into those encounters. You can also trigger those encounters outside of jaws. It's based on how many tiles you move, mm -hmm. right? And in and an RNG value, but I'm not going to nerd out and go into how that works. So uh, it's random, so to speak, sort of like Final Fantasy when you're walking around and you're getting random encounters in Final Fantasy or Dragon Warrior. Very similar yeah. to that. Okay. Totally. So the way that the underwater things work is you can collect shells and you can take those shells to ports and buy things. You can get a receiver that allows you to track jaws. So you, it'll make noises when he gets closer and closer to you, uh, which is useful. And you can also power up the Orca, which is the ship that you're driving around. So what you were talking about there is when you have power level one, it's basically impossible to kill jaws. Uh, <laughs> Slack did kill Jaws at power one, but it took him many hours of attempts to do that. So, so he did. He just wore down his health over the course of hours. Well, he can mash and well. So here's I'm like that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Right, right. When right. you shoot Jaws, he has what's called iframes. I'm pretty sure everyone listening knows what iframes are. Invincibility frames. So you can't just button mash him. You can't use a turbo controller on him. Oh, right. Okay. So okay. it's a timing thing. And he's obviously a world record host. So he's got the timing down. But the biggest problem is that if the encounter ends, that you're when you go underwater, if that ends, Jaws will heal four life bars. Oh. Okay. I think when you're at power one, it's don't quote me on this because I haven't refreshed, but I think it's thirty two shots per life. And I think he has sixteen life bars. So that's an absurd number of hits. Right. And it, it halves you double power every time you go through there. So it's 32, then 16, then eight. Right. Wow. Um, so one of the things is an encounter last uh, has a certain number of enemies that spawn. It's usually 24, but it fluctuates slightly depending on the encounter that you have. 
And um, once all those enemies are dead or they go off the screen from their movement pattern, the encounter ends. So the, the best strategy to get the most time to fight Jaws is to bring them all the way to the bottom of the water so that the stingrays have to move all the way up the entire duration of the water so that you have more time to shoot Jaws. That's one of the strategies that we employ in the book. And then another thing is if you, you can take two kinds of encounters. You can take one that's in deep water and one that's in shallow water. If you are near a coastline when you take an encounter or Jaws hits you, you go into these really, really tiny waterways, and it's very dangerous because you have almost no space to move. You have jellyfish coming at you up uh, horizontally and stingrays. Uh, I'm sorry, jellyfish vertically and stingrays horizontally. And you have, you're also avoiding Jaws, so it's really, really hectic. Yeah, that was typically when I died the most was in the shallows. Yeah. Uh, and I think when I suspected when you increase your power, um, the enemies get faster or more frequent or there's different kinds of encounters. So it, like when I started the game, the jellyfish were just like floating kind of upward. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then later on, I'm like, you know, power level four or something. And they start doing like this crazy zigzagging. And I'm just like, ah, it's scarier than Jaws. Yes. So there is that's sort of interesting. Uh, a lot of games, you saw this in arcade games a lot. It, the, there's, uh, have you ever heard the term rank? Rank? No. Okay. I don't lie. I don't, I don't know in this context. Okay, so if you uh, Ninja Turtles, the arcade game is a great example of this. They have a concept called rank. And what it is is if you play through a stage and you don't die, the next stage spawns more enemies to try to kill you. It was designed to take your quarters. Right? Um, Interesting. This is similar in NBA Jam as well. So in NBA Jam... The farther away that you get score-wise from your opponent, the lower your shot percentages go. And they eventually get to a point where you can't make any outside shots. You can only do point-level, like point-blank dunks, and even sometimes those miss. So the game is trying to balance itself. So if you get 5, 10, 15 points away, then all of a sudden you can't make any shots and the computer comes back on you. Okay, so Jaws employs a similar tactic to rank. Uh, you can see this in some NES games, but uh, typically this this is one of the only ones I can think of off the top of my head. What happens is is there's each encounter that you go in is is set. The number of enemies that spawn and their behaviors are set, and there's a table that determines what those are. Every time you complete one, it just moves to the next encounter, and they scale in difficulty. So as you go through the game, it just naturally gets harder and harder and harder and harder for you to beat it. Eventually, you get to a point where there's just jellyfish going everywhere, and you, you're you going to die, right? It intentionally tries to kill you on purpose. So the longer you play Jaws, the less likely it is that you're going to beat the game. Wow. Okay, so... I like that I kind of suspected there was something going on. I did not realize it was that. That's interesting. Yes. So it kind of lends uh, itself to being faster. Yeah, it does. So um, so two things. So the first thing is in the in the easy way strategy for that, uh, we get you to – I think the diminishing return starts at power four, right? Mm -hmm. You can kill Jaws pretty effectively and reasonably easily at power three, okay? Um, so you don't really need to go to power four. And you want to limit the number of encounters that you get. I think it starts to scale at encounter four, maybe encounter five, one of those two. So okay. you want to try to beat the game before you get to six, seven, eight, nine, whatever. Um, because then you're, like you said, the jellyfish start going diagonally and their speeds are varying. The stingrays get faster sometimes. Um, there's a lot more enemies. Um, it's very tough. Uh, so we get to power three. We have a strategy and a route to get to power three. And then we fight Jaws. And we kill Jaws, and then you ram him with the boat, 
and that's the game. So that's the first thing. But the uh, uh, go ahead because I forgot the other thing. No, that's all right. I uh, I so yeah. I I think every time I've played this, I've been tempted to be like, well, let me just get as powerful as I can and see you know what all the the power ups are in this game. Um, there's a really cool one where you get to be in like a submersible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the kind of like spawn rate on that? Because sometimes it'll be there, sometimes it'll be in a different spot, but I'm not sure. Let's take a moment to catch our breath here and remember that there's not always a great overlap between the gamer lifestyle and good physical and mental health. The stereotypical image of a gamer is one of the most ghastly pallor. I'm delighted to introduce to you Cosmic Dust, a brand committed to the belief that every person should reach their maximum potential. They offer a variety of supplements designed to support the physical and mental needs of today's gamers. As we become a digital society, spending more and more time behind screens, natural, nutritional, holistic supplements are more than worth looking into. Whether you find yourself suffering from a lack of pep during the day or battling insomnia at night. Visit Cosmic Dust and check out their selection for focus, energy, and sleep, or browse their blog for helpful articles on diet and relaxation. Link in the description. So that's the thing is um, naturally, especially coming from an RPG background, you're like, oh, let's level up. Let's farm. Right. Let's, get, let's get really <laughs> overpowered and kill the boss. So they, they were aware of that and prevented you from doing that by scaling the encounters to be too difficult to get to that power level. Um, so as far as the submarine goes, so the submarine doubles your power. So whatever your power is, it'll double it, right? So it's like having an additional level of power, uh, right? So you basically do double damage. So it spawns based on how many points you have at certain point values. So uh, in the bonus, there are bonus stages in this game that happen um, every two encounters. Uh, so you do two encounters, bonus stage, two encounters, bonus stage. Um, that's not exactly true, but for the, for the sake of this, let's, let's say it's true. <laughs> it's true enough. <laughs> it's true enough. So um, once you get to a certain uh, point value and you go back to the overworld map, the mini sub will spawn in one of three locations and that's random. And then you can go collect that mini sub. And then what that does is underneath the water, when you're in the encounters, uh, you get one basically barrier hit. So if you take a hit while you're in the sub, you'll turn into the diver. So it prevents you from dying. And it also fires much faster. Uh, it does more damage. You can fire straight and drop bombs below you. So you mm -hmm. have two alternate firing methods. Uh, but it does move a lot faster and it's more difficult to control. But it is pretty powerful. You don't need it to beat the game. In fact, I would recommend not getting it because it'll it's the route to get the points fast to get that sub is not worth it when you can just get to power level three reasonably quick. And then mm -hmm. you can just kill Jaws with power level three. So that's that's my my take on it. The old so the old speed run strategy, and that's the thing I forgot. Uh, the old speed run strategy was to get the mini sub, right? We they'd get oh. to power level two and then get the mini sub and they do that. So what what we discovered, or what Space Colonizer and Slackinator discovered, is if you're inside an encounter, okay, and you're on the table, say you're in encounter one, and you die, it does not progress the encounter to two. It keeps it at encounter one. You have to actually complete the encounter for it to progress the table. Okay? So what the speedrun does is they, they need to collect a certain number of shells to get the mm -hmm. receiver and the power level they need to kill Jaws. Right. So they kill a bunch of uh, enemies in, in a first encounter and then die on purpose. 
Ah. Okay. They die on purpose so that because then they can take that encounter again, that level one encounter again, and get a lot of shells. I think it's sixteen that they ne- that they need. Okay. Uh, total. But uh, yeah, which is so- not a ton. I mean, I'm over here sitting on like fifty. I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna buy everything. Yeah, it's not a ton. <laughs> it's not a ton, but it's like each encounter lasts, you know, how much time? A very, very long time, right? So you want to get to the shells as fast as possible. So uh, the again, this is super nerd stuff, but I think we have some uh, some time. So the there is a table for the drop, the items that drop. Because when when you kill an enemy, it can drop nothing. It can drop a shell. It can drop a crab, which increases your speed up to I think twice or three times. And it can drop a star, which just gives you points. Okay, mm-hmm. and so those are on a drop table, and um, that's been mapped out. Uh, Space Colonizer and Slack have mapped that out, right? So we they know exactly what items are going to drop from what enemies, and they have to uh, manipulate that during the encounters to get the right number of shells that they need, right? And it's even more complex than that because the depending on where the enemies spawn. And there's 16 or there's 12 or 16, I can't remember, spawn locations at the bottom of the screen. And they have to, they can block certain enemies from spawning by being above that particular thing. So uh, I know I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. That's an interesting no, thing. No, it's all good. Yeah. So this is like the technical, it's just to me, it's just like, eh, I, I shot a shark, you know, in this game. But like your your level of understanding of the NES infrastructure and how these games are designed is, I think, really fascinating. It's a very unique perspective. So I, something that Slack says a lot, and this is probably the most important thing about Jaws or why people think it's hard. When you start the game and you go into the underwater areas, right, and you're moving around, okay, there's enemies spawning underneath you and, and on the sides of the screen, and they may hit you, right? What people don't know is that at the start of the game, there are there are pixeled locations at the bottom that the enemies can spawn in from the bottom, like the jellyfish that go vertically, right? And the stingrays too, but they spawn on the left and right side of the screen, so those are much easier to avoid, right? Um, but here's the thing. The, the stingrays will always spawn on the opposite side of the screen that you're on. So if you split the screen in half uh. and you're on the left side, the jellyfish or the stingray will always spawn on the other side of the screen, okay? Um... A jellyfish will, at the start of the game, will not spawn directly underneath you or in the two locations that are adjacent to you. So it will not come from underneath you and kill you. Okay? Okay. But as the game goes on, the jellyfish start to reduce that, those, uh, how close they can spawn to you. Okay? It will never spawn directly underneath you ever but it can spawn into the one adjacent to you while you're moving and hit you underneath because it spawns so quickly right so that's why it becomes harder and harder to do that and it's spawning a lot more enemies um it is possible to have a stingray spawn on you but so what we do in the strategy there is you just go it's natural for you like you said you're just swimming around you're collecting shells and you're just farming right you're having a fun Mm -hmm. time the best way to beat the game is to not move at all if you just go down to one of the corners Okay, we call it shell farming strat. You just go down into one of the corners of the thing, of the of the encounter, and a jellyfish cannot spawn underneath you, and all the stingrays are going to spawn on the opposite side of the screen. So you can't be hit. Um, and that, that will work for three or four encounters. Okay. 
What about uh, Jaws Juniors? What about the other sh- big kind of baby sharks in here? I would, they I, behave swore very I would not say baby sharks on this baby episode, <laughs> but I'm sorry I did. <laughs> so they behave similarly to the stingray, though. Yes, they behave uh, pretty much identically to the stingray, except for the stingray has two hit points, and I think the baby shark has eight. Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, yeah. So uh, here's another thing. You're. Those baby sharks spawn in again specific encounters. We know when they're going to spawn and which order they're going to spawn in, and they're they're very static. Um, when you power up your boat, the orca, and you go to power level one, power level two, whatever, that doesn't affect your diver, right? It doesn't affect your diver. So the all the enemies still take the same number of hits. That's what the mini sub is useful for, right? It's for mm-hmm. you know powering up the diver, right? Uh, and so that's that's an interesting thing, I think. Well, let me let me uh, let me uh, be more specific. It, the powering up of your orca only affects your damage that you deal to jaws. Okay. Okay. Um, so there's that. You, the the regular enemies still take the same number of hits, no matter what. So there's a lot going on beneath the surface in this game. I, I uh, think that's true with any NES game. Again, this is yeah, that's this, a good point. This is yeah. where we're at is we have this, I call it a master's level thesis project on these games, right? I, I know more about Friday 13th and Jaws and, than most people on the earth, right? Uh, because we did a comprehensive guide on it, same with Fester's Quest or, or Punch-Out. Um, Punch-Out's a little weird. There's a lot of people who have a very vast knowledge of Punch-Out uh, that are probably no more than, than I do about it. Uh, but there, it's just it's just so vast, it's impossible for one person to have all the knowledge. That's a yeah. I'd say that's a a pretty complex game, at least front facing. Um, simplicity is a term, and I want to run this past you. That gets brought up a lot with um, with retro games, NES, SNES, uh, that sort of thing. Um, especially in comparison to modern games, uh, and it's used like almost all the time that I've encountered it uh, in a, in a positive light. Uh, Gorilla Brain Pod here said simplicity at its finest. LJM put out some hot dumpster fires, but I have fond memories of this one. I think like it's interesting for me to think about how, again, in a front facing sense, how simple Jaws is. Uh, it has very simple goals. This is very simple controls. Um, it's not a huge overworld map. There's not a ton of characters and so on and so forth. Uh, but everything that you've described is really complex, and that's beneath the surface, beneath the the front facing facade, if you will. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, the programmers never expected us to know all this stuff. And to that's be perfectly true. honest with you, we <laughs> probably know more about how their game works than the people who actually made the game. And that's because mm. we've we've spent years dissecting it and, and applying different concepts to it, which they never did. Right from from completely different perspectives, so they wanted to make a game that wasn't beat in one day, right? They wanted to have some way of making the game hard, so that way people could would buy Nintendo powers or call the hotline, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what Nintendo was telling developers and publishers, right? And so that's why they included that rank similar system to prevent you from just powering up and getting overpowered. But for you, like you didn't know any of that stuff, right? And you were able to play through the game multiple times and you got past th- uh, level three power and four level four power or whatever, and you're still able to kill Jaws, right? So mm-hmm. um, there is an element of genre skill. Like if, you, if you're good at uh, shoot 'em ups, right? You, you're going to be fine at this game. It's just avoiding the whole, the whole game is shoot 'em ups, basically. 
Um, yeah, which leads to the next question I was going to ask you is how would you how would you genre classify this game? Would you say it's a shmup? Oh, this is so hard, man. Um, <laughs> it's a tough one with this game, I think. I I talk uh, with my friend Kelsey sometimes about this. Like, okay, so is Super Mario a sh- uh, a shoot 'em up because you can shoot a fire flower? Right. So it's like, where's the line of it? Right. I I think mm-hmm. there are games that are multi-genre. Yeah. And I think this would be in that multi-genre game. But I think in the case of Super Mario, even though you can shoot with a power-up, it's very clearly a platformer, right? So right. sometimes it's really easy to put them in a bo- in the box, but I think there are some that are multi-genre that it's impossible to to determine what they actually are. Uh, Guardian Legend is a good example. Right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's got yeah. it's got uh, shoot 'em up levels, and it's got overworld adventure levels, and it's got leveling and I think I guess that if I was to enter that conversation on this versus Super Mario Brothers, it's like you could play through the entirety of Super Mario Brothers without using the Fire Flower, but I don't know if you could play through the entirety of Jaws without shooting. No, no, you couldn't. So, but then it's like, okay, so is the overworld map just a navigation system for shoot 'em ups, right? Yeah. Yes, maybe. Yeah. And that's an interesting question. And then we haven't even talked about this yet. Uh, in the words of Chris HL 94, worst final boss ever. Uh, the final <laughs> boss of this game is not really a shoot em up thing. And I was taken by surprise the first time I encountered this again, without having a, like a touching point to jaws one being like somehow you have to ram your prow into the, I think it's the prow is the front of a ship. I don't own a boat. Okay. I'm sorry. folks. <laughs> boat owners are like, it's not a prow. It's the starboard stern. Yeah, or whatever. Well, st- stern is, I think the front, the back, the right? Back? No, I don't know. I don't Gosh. know. About okay. Hey, what part of the boat is the prow? Let's see. Is the front, the prow just call or it front bow. The bow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The bow or prow is the forward most part of the ship. The stern is the back. Port is left. Starboard is right. Okay. Okay. We're why good. can't we just call them front, back, left, right? Like, why do we have to have? Because <laughs> sailors, man, they're like, we need to feel important. Oh, it's the one of yeah, starboard. Like, I have a boat, so I'm gonna make up words to feel better. <laughs> I'd be proud of having a boat too. Uh, so anyway, um, all that to say, yeah, the the final boss encounter really kind of comes out of nowhere, um, and. Like it's, it's the most difficult part of the game for me as well. Um, maybe you could give us like a hint of like a strategy for that. Uh, um, it's, it's so absolutely in the guide, we go into great detail about how that boss fight works. Okay. Uh, here's, here's the problem there. Uh, this particular fight, uh, you're sort of what perspective is that first person? Right, so yeah. you're looking off the you're looking off the bow of the boat towards the ocean that's far away, and Jaws is sort of coming at you, and you're trying to stab him with the boat. Okay, so there are two things at play here. You have a strobe light. You start off with three. You can earn more, but you don't need more than three. Um, and then you have a button that somehow stabs the boat forward. I don't know, like gas <laughs> gases the boat, I guess, uh, hits the accelerator, and get and stabs Jaws with the boat. Okay. Um, so Jaws, uh, Jaws has a pattern of how he's going to move towards you. And there are lines, there are lines of waves 
um, for the graphics. Every time he hits one of those lines, he has a random chance of going straight towards you to the left or to the right. Okay. okay. So you can't really predict what he's going to do. Right. He can get all, he can go straight all the way in and you've got the boat lined up and on the very last line, he can move to the right and then you can't stab him with the boat. Right. He's got to be exactly lined up with you. Okay. And there are three positions that Jaws can be in when he's close to you. Only one of them he's stabbable in. He can be slightly too far away or slightly too close. Oh, okay. I didn't know about the too close. Right. Yikes. He can be, he can be too close um, uh, it, to my knowledge. Um, so in, in any case, the, the strategy that we employ there is you pick one direction, you pick right or left and you say, okay, you watch jaws and you try to mimic what he's doing, right? Yeah. So you start off left or right of jaws, right? You don't, you don't want to be in the center because then he's going to go left and you're going to have to follow him. So you stay Mm -hmm. left. If he goes right, you move to the right to try to catch him and hope he moves back to the left and lines up with you. Okay. If he doesn't, he'll bounce off the screen and go all the way back to the thing and then start over. And you just do that until, until he moves the direction that you chose, which is a 50, 50 shot. Right. Um, sometimes he'll just go completely straight down. And if that's the case, you just move the boat over at the very last second and get in front of him, hit your strobe light at the right time and hit the a button to stab him. Um, and it's, it's all described and explained in there. It's, it's much easier than you would think. Uh, but I do have something f- interesting about that before you res- after you respond. No, I, I was just going to ask real quick. Do you do you have to hit him from the white part, sort of his underbelly? Uh, no, like there the there are actually three stabbing positions when he. Okay. So if you hit the strobe light, he'll kind of flop out of the water and turn. Right. He'll, he'll like yeah, jump he like a pivot, like in yeah. place almost. So he thing. he's got a uh, he'll, the first position, uh, I'm not sure if he can go from left to right, but I'm pretty sure it's right to left. He'll jump out and you'll see half of his belly and then he'll be fully towards you and then he'll be uh, half of his belly on the other side. Uh, I know for a fact that you can stab him straight on when you can see his full belly and when his belly is to the left. Uh, okay. I think you can stab it to the right as well, uh, but you really just want to wait until his body's, his belly's fully exposed. Because even if you time it incorrectly and he turns left, you'll still stab him. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it's all about hitting the strobe at the right time when he's the right distance away, um, which is between your boat and the first line, or even sometimes uh, it depends, but the first line, and then hitting the A button to stab him uh, when his belly is showing. Gotcha. And what were you going to say? <laughs> so usually in NES games, when you have a sequence like that where it's kind of running code, Right. So that's just running Jaws's code, right? And you mm-hmm. can just do nothing, and it never ends. So I was like, does this have an end? Like, does this stop after a while? Because, like, the encounters stop, right? There's, like, a hard stop with the code. So right. generally, programmers don't like their code running like that because eventually something bad is going to happen, right? They put a stop to it and reset the RAM values. Because every time Jaws is moving there, he's incrementing RAM values inside the NES, uh, right? So uh, I was like... Nate, you need to figure out if this ends, right? So he just left left that on. Like he turned that encounter on and just walked away, right? I think he walked away for like a couple of hours, right? And just let Jaws bounce off the screen. Eventually, if you do that long enough, the graphics completely glitch out and you, and you can't <laughs> tell what's Jaws and what's water. And it just, it, it keeps going, but you can't distinguish anything. It messes up the graphics. Wow. Which is yeah. why they don't give you infinite strobes then. They give you three. 
Right. If you if you run out of strobes, the encounter will end. But yeah. if you just don't use them, yeah, they just stay there. Wow. You just stay there. A, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't. Yeah. And that's why I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> just interesting stuff, and it's completely irrelevant to playing the game or beating the game. Right. Uh, it's kind of like what I do. I mean, this is. I don't want to say deeper way of appreciation because that sort of sounds a little snobby, but it is a way to appreciate these games in a, in a manner that is less maybe immediate or superficial than, Oh, just play it once and shelve it. Like you've studied these games. You've, you've looked at sort of the behind the scenes on these games and understanding it from a, an infrastructure perspective. Um, and it's just it's a manner in which you appreciate this game. And I think I think that's wonderful. It's scientific and analytical, right? And there you go. that yeah. science and, and analysis can be applied in a lot of different ways. We apply it to speed running. We apply it to score chasing. Uh, we apply it and I can apply it to casually beating the game. Right. So there's different there's different ways of taking that knowledge and using it to have a have a good effect. Um, generally it's used for speed running because that's the most popular way to play. I think these games with that advanced knowledge, but I, I use it all the time in, in score chasing and, um, a bunch of people have bought my books and they've played through games that they never thought were possible to, to beat. And, uh, I would love to have one of these guides on every single NES game. But one of the things is there's, there's lots of NES games that have this immense knowledge, especially games that have large communities like Super Mario 3, Zelda, Metroid, right? There's tons and tons of, of knowledge there. Um, it's just, you know, I, I don't I don't have 40 years to create a guide mm-hmm. for every single NES game. These are these take very long to create. Right. And it's not like people need a guide for Zelda or Mario right. 3, right? We're trying to target games that people think can't be beaten. Ninja Gaiden, Ghosts and Goblins, Battletoads, right? Friday the 13th, Jaws. Yeah, Ghosts and Goblins is also on my list <laughs> of those that I I don't know that I could beat. Um, so yeah, all that to say, I really appreciate the the uh, profundity of, <laughs> of appreciation here. It's like, I was thinking, it's like, you know, because you said scientific. Uh, it's like when I was a kid and I saw Jurassic Park and I was like, oh, I want to study dinosaurs. Well, like studying dinosaurs to like a 10 year old is buying dinosaur action figures and reading about dinosaurs. But if I really wanted to study dinosaurs, I would become a paleontologist and study them scientifically because that's the deepest that you could study dinosaurs. You know, that is the most profound and most complex and, and detailed manner in which you could study dinosaurs. But it's still from a level of appreciation, or at least it would have been for me if if I had been the 10-year-old that had pursued paleontology. Uh, a few final things here on, on the gameplay. I really liked kind of just asking people how you would describe Jaws. Um, and these are a couple of great answers here. Mr. Univac said a single screen shmup crossed with a JRPG world map and random encounters with a quick time event boss fight at the very end. The craziest thing, it actually works. And non Trotsky said, is this the first randomized permadeath roguelike that features a stalker enemy for the NES? Uh, so there's a, there's at this point in time so far removed from the NES, we've built up so many genre terms and genre specific terms, um, that it is, it's interesting to kind of go back and play jaws and think about, you know, how, what would I compare this to now folks here as we near the, as we near the end, there's, there have been a lot of audience questions and statements, 
If you want to ask a question or share a comment to get a mention on the show, then keep an eye out on my Twitter at the Well Read Mage, where I announce the topics for each Mage Cast episode in advance. We can also email me at thewellreadmage at gmail.com. Next episode, we are going to be talking about a game that's, I think, wildly different than Jaws, Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town. I'm actually a huge fan of farming sims. Uh, it's a kind of guilty pleasure. And I'm going to be talking to an actual farmer because, you see, I get I get experts on my show. Okay, when we did the Elden Ring episode, I went and got the experts from Bonfire Side Chat. When I do a Jaws NES episode, I go and get the guy who wrote the book on it, literally. When I go to talk about Harvest Moon, I'm going to get an actual farmer to talk about Harvest Moon with. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have uh, profound things to say. I'm sure he'll tell me that Harvest Moon is very much unlike real farming. Uh, just going out on a limb to say that. uh pr- probably probably yeah just like jaws is very much unlike regular fishing you know unless you're stabbing your fish with the prow of your boat somehow yeah i don't think anyone has ever stabbed a whale or a shark with the bow of their boat like, yeah maybe like captain ahab but like no, he's I, fictional i doubt so it i don't know <laughs> i didn't finish that book <laughs> back to um Back to Non Trotsky's comment about it being yeah. the first randomized permadeath roguelike. It very well may be. Um, the Friday 13th game, which was like that, uh, came out two years after that. Sweet Home was sort of like that. I don't. Um, what is the release date on that? I don't know off the top of my head. Honestly. Okay. <laughs> of course you don't know. I, mean, no, I, I know the title and that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, two years later. So Jaws probably is because that was Jaws was 1987. That's pretty and, early. Uh, it's two years before Sweet Home and uh, Friday Thirteenth, and I, those are like the only three that I know of for many years. Yeah, um, what do they have those games now where you're being pursued by like a movie monster, like you're being pursued by Jason? Yeah, you know what I'm they, talking. They about? call them survival horror. Yeah, no, is there like a there's it's like a multiplayer. Um, oh, you're talking about the the new age Jason uh, game? Yeah. yeah. Um. Friday it's, the just, 13th, it's just called Friday the 13th, the game. Yeah. The game. Yeah. Very original name. That's took right. years to figure that Maybe out. Maybe I'm thinking of dead by daylight. I don't know. I haven't very played similar. Any of these. Yeah. Very Where similar. somebody's a monster and they're chasing everybody. But yeah, with this, you're being hunted kind of the whole time. It is, it's definitely a very interesting, unique game, I think. So a couple of other things. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Slackinator, uh, is by trade a farmer. His family comes from. I did farming. not know that. Yeah. Right, so you may want to reach out to him and see if he has any information about this uh, thing. His family owns a, a very, very large uh, farm, and he's lived there pretty much his whole life. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, another thing you were talking about paleontology. So, what would the name of the science of the study of NESP? Because there, there are like, everyone, you know, Norm the gaming historian, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot of people from the Atari age that are calling themselves gaming historians like Leonard mm-hmm. Herman and Michael Thomason, Brett Weiss, uh, you know, tons and tons and tons of those. The so gaming historian is like a term now. It's like if you research games, you're a gaming historian, right? But what would the what would you say the term would be for someone who does that specifically on the NES? Specifically on the NES, uh, I mean, the one that I think is the lowest hanging fruit is Nessologist or Nessology. Um, YouTube but, channel. Let's go. Right there. <laughs> Nessologica. 
Um, there's there's certainly a lot that you could do there. I think you could probably do it a little better justice than just picking the the title of the system, you know, and to be like, I'm a Sega Genesisologist, you know, Genesologist, like, <laughs> Genesologist, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you might be able to get into something unique about like the specific infrastructure and then tagologist at the end there. But that's an interesting question. <laughs> I don't I don't know. If you like Nessologist, man, make that YouTube channel. I'd watch. No, nah, I uh, I would love to, but um, I don't have. I, I think the ship for retro YouTube channels has sailed. Uh, mm. I think it, they've been on the downcline for the last three or four or five years, mm-hmm. and uh, I just I just don't think that that's a space people don't. I, I think generally uh, on podcasts or whatever, and somewhat in the magazine. Um, YouTubers don't want to watch uh, technical stuff. They don't want to hear all this stuff about Jaws and the speed run and whatever. You know, They're looking for more crunchy stuff that they don't have to think about. It's not so complex. That's right? kind of so, YouTube's brand, it seems yeah, like. Not a not brand, but That's like just not me. Right? That's just yeah. not my style of, of ex- explanation. Even the easy way. It's super technical and, and vast, and uh, it's, it's applied in an easy way. But, um, yeah, I just – generic game reviews or – you know, doing a documentary. I love what Norm does. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. He does an incredible job. But just going into the history of the light gun is not something that interests me at all. Um, even though I know a lot about that stuff and I could do it, it just I don't care to have a YouTube. Like it's just yeah. a lot of a lot of work for almost no benefit. And that's a staying in your lane sort of thing. Like you know what you want, you know what you're good at. Uh and so you know what you're doing. I think too, like you know, mention YouTube retro scenes kind of drying up i think like you know i couldn't stomach another video on hidden gems on the oh, nes like, i hate that term right oh god i don't I think that, that something as popular and widespread as the nes really has that many hidden gems left especially for people who are actively seeking retro gaming content on youtube on a regular basis those are going to be the people who know what the heck sweet home is like well, the average person I grew up with doesn't know what sweet home is, yeah. but I feel like this echoes a lot of the conversations that you and I have had previously in private. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I think it's, it's the YouTubers aren't really looking for new retro show ideas. Like if, mm-hmm. if they really love metal Jesus, they want to hear his hidden gems, but they also want to hear uh, who Brett Weiss's, hidden gems right they want to see that person's likes and dislikes right so it's not personality it's, driven yeah it's not um it's not that they want to watch a bunch of hidden gem videos it's just that they they find a particular youtuber that they like content and personality wise and then they watch whatever they make and so yeah. and then the algorithm uh you know if they're if right now ranking videos are, are super high right that's a thing that's a new trend right the s rank through d rank Right. And then hidden gems is a thing. And there's, there's tons of other ones of those, but all the YouTubers copy that stuff and they just mm-hmm. re- produce the same stuff. And I'm not, I'm not bashing them. They do what you got to do, do what makes money for you and makes you happy. And if that's fun to you, go do that. It's just not for me. I, I like to play the games and understand the games and try to get to the highest level of those games that I can. And that's, that's fun to me. And that's what makes me happy. And that's bottom line. I, if it, if it doesn't make you happy, um, I don't know much reasons to do it. Let me run this final question by you, Steve. Oh no. This is from my good friend. Least. No, this is this is the <laughs> one. You gotta end on this note here. Uh Retro Death Row, 
who, oh, God. whom we know has asked, "Oh no, who's better looking or more charming?" Oh boy! <laughs> and he says, "Me or the well-read mage?" <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! You're on my podcast. Just just remember. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, so let me say a couple things. I don't really rate people based on their looks. You don't want to do a ranking video of like no, the people I don't that you really work with. Based on their looks. <laughs> um, I also am completely unaffected by charm. Um, I don't respond to that at all. Uh, I try to connect with people uh, intellectually from a knowledge perspective. So um, I think uh, I think Retro Death Row is uh, more in my space than you mm-hmm. are. Uh, so mm-hmm. if we're going from a charm perspective, but there's a lot of interesting things about what your space is that I find intriguing that I'd like to know more about. So it's kind of a tie. Like I can talk to Retro Death Row more <laughs> about what stuff I'm currently in, but mm-hmm. I, I'm also very interested in talking with stuff about what I'm not interested in. So it's like, I don't know. I'm going to go with a tie. Yeah, that is a, well, that's a great answer. I mean, and it kind of bookends like what we were discussing here at the beginning of the podcast, now at the end, uh, of like <laughs> you and I have, you know, a lot of really different worlds going on in our spheres, but we connect along the lines of we both really like Jaws, you know, NES. You definitely understand it from like this very technical perspective that I really appreciate. Uh, and so it's been it's been a blast kind of really learning more about this game that I like just from a new perspective that is very much outside of my field of experience. By the way, guys, I, I totally derailed this podcast, by the way, guys. <laughs> I, I totally derailed it and added like an extra 20 minutes onto it. It's all good. <laughs> I, what, what are we at now? I mean, come on. Now uh, we're at like the two hour mark. This is perfect. This yeah, typically... but you did the outro already and then I, I derailed it. That's all good. Don't, uh, sort of on yeah, it's it's totally fine. I mean, trust me, it, like most episodes and about an hour, 52 hours. It's, it's perfect. Uh, but I have I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you about Jaws. Uh, thank you for being available to come on the show, Steve. Yeah, and man. maybe I, let I just let play NES all day. I mean, what, a, <laughs> what else do I do? <laughs> I was going to say, let our listeners know where they can find you uh, in front of an NES. Yes, that is, that is it. Um, So. I have a website. It's 8bitsteve.com. It's the number 8bitsteve.com. Um, that's going to show you uh, my current records, um, you know, magazine stuff or anything that I'm working on. I put on that website as sort of, sort of like a centralized location. I do have a Discord uh, called the Nest Maniacs. You can find the link to that on my website. And then uh, easywayguides.com is where you can purchase my books while they're still in stock, but they are rapidly running out. Yeah, which uh, I'm very grateful for your your generosity mentioned earlier. I would love to get a hold of these books. Yeah. Um, a bit, Steve, did you know, I said I had a final question for you from yeah. retro death row. This is the actual final question. Yes, I did it. You did it. <laughs> did you know that eight bit Steve is potentially a Minecraft reference before you named yourself that Minecraft didn't exist. Oh, that's how old that. this name is. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or if it did exist, it was like really early in its infancy. Like tiny. Okay. So yeah, I, I think I made, so uh, again, I, like I said earlier in the show, I used to be called Nintendo Steve at school, but I didn't want to be Nintendo Steve because that's a stupid name. Um, and Nintendo <laughs> might sue me. Uh, so it just became 8-Bit Steve. Right. Okay. Um, but obviously I spent, I spent years developing that name and coming up with it. It's very, it's very witty and complex, right? It's the best name that you could have came up with for me. <laughs> no, it, it's, uh, yeah, no, but I've heard that 
tons of times. Um, there's actually a friend of ours. His name is Peg Like Pete. Uh, he has a really cool stream where he does wrestling. He, he does like a he plays a wrestling game and he does a campaign or, or like a season and uh, it's all automated. So the, the people fight and they fight for championships and you don't know what's going to happen. And he creates characters that are based on streamers. Right. And the, why that's relevant is because when he made me, he made me the Minecraft guy. <laughs> right. I'm just like a yeah. Minecraft, whatever. And it's Ape and Steve. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel you. I just got into Minecraft because my kids, but um well, good to know you cleared that up. We'll say they named Steve after you, uh, and then that'll be our head cannon. Uh, <laughs> There's also Scuba Steve. I get that sometimes. Scuba Steve? Yeah, from um, it's one of the Madam Sandler movies. Oh, okay. I think it's Big Daddy. Oh, okay. I don't know if I've seen. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, thanks again for your time. I appreciate you. Yeah, sure, man. Same time right. tomorrow. Same time tomorrow. We're going to talk about. Uh, anything investors quests sure uh, yeah i need to yeah pick an nes to, game i can talk about it doesn't matter i need to get is. good yeah we should have um we should have uh you and david on uh he and i sure. were talking about uh, having yeah do a nest pro episode and bring david on yeah he's uh he's for those who don't know he's the editor-in-chief of our magazine a very accomplished and awesome dude and the magazine wouldn't be possible without him and mage honestly um so it's he's awesome. I love to hear him talk about the magazine and be excited. I'm the resident cheerleader. That's my job. I'm a, <laughs> he does a lot more than that, guys. <laughs> a lot more than that. Don't let him fool you. I look good in a skirt. That's why he hired me. <laughs> <laughs> I just got an image in my head that I do not want. <laughs> yeah, based on RDR's question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. uh, all right, time to go. Bye, bye, ladies bye. and gentlemen. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did, here's what you can do next. Try browsing our library and check out another episode. You can leave a review or rating on your app of choice, which would really help out the show. You could visit Patreon if you want to financially support my multi-concept work across the internet. And finally, you could join our Discord community. There's links for you in the description. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the sharks.